I want to go to John chapter 5, verse 1 through 9. And um, today we're going to be looking at a story. We're starting a series called Beautifully New. And in this series, we're going to be talking about a change of thinking, a change of the way you look at the scriptures, as well as um, this is a three-week series. And when you talk about being beautifully new, some people feel like their life is just the same old cycle. I used to call my dad all the time, and he would say, same old stuff, different day. That's what he'd always say when I'd ask him, how are you doing? And he'd say, same old stuff, son, different day. And some people feel that way. So when you start a series on being beautifully new, they're like, how long is a series? Three weeks. And they're like, okay, we'll see you in four. Because they don't feel like their life is ever going to get out of the cycle or the turmoil or the things that are going through and that they're going through. And I want you to know that there's an opportunity in this place for everything in your life to be changed by the hand of the one who holds the universe. That God Almighty can craft a different situation for you out of your faith and your belief in him. Amen. Wow, you guys are rough this morning. It's going to be a wonderful day in the house of the Lord. After this is the verse that I'm reading in five, chapter 5 of verse 1, verse 1 of chapter 5 of John. We're going to begin there. And um, uh, forgive me for the rough start. I did have to work all night. So don't pity me. Just pray for me. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. Doesn't say what feast it was. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool. So at the sheep gate, he turns and makes a detour and heads into the pool of Bethesda, which is called in the Hebrew or Aramaic tongue, Bethesda, having five porches or cornices. Everybody say five porches. In these, in these lay a great multitude of impotent or lame folk, a blind halt withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the uh, after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole. Everyone say made whole. Of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. Everyone say that's a long time. He had an infirmity almost his entire life, it would seem. And this certain man doesn't even give him a name, but it says, when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, or knew that he had been this way for a long time, he saith unto him the strangest question I've ever seen, I think, in the scriptures. Wilt thou be made whole? He's at the pool of Bethesda. He knows that the angels trouble it in a certain season, and he, if he gets in, he's going to be healed. You think the question kind of is unnecessary. But he doesn't ask, will you be healed? He asked, wilt thou be made whole? And that's a very important question to ask ourselves. The impotent man answered him, Sir, at least he was respectful, I have no man or no body, one translation says, when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. In other words, his, his infirmity keeps him from his miracle. Amen? And that's what he believes. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on 
the same day was the Sabbath. I just want to talk to you for a little bit about Beautifully New and, and maybe pull out of this story a little bit of something that we all have to deal with. And that is, we all have a place in our life that if we let God access to that location, if we let God access to that particular thing, He will change it for us. But we have to be willing to let Him in to those locations. Because we're all good at blocking. Amen? And I think we all need a breakthrough in this area. Lord, we ask you to touch the word, the reading, the hearing, and the preaching in Jesus' precious name. Everyone said amen. You may be seated. The thing that I found most interesting is that there are people that do things but don't intend to change. There are people that go to the gym but have no intentions of truly getting gain. There are people that go to places that you think that would change them, but they really don't intend to change. I have been around church long enough to know people that go to church but have never changed. It's one thing to, to go to church and expect God to do something great for you and then have God have a different plan in some areas where you'd like to see change and you trust him in that plan. But it's another thing to go to church and just file away everything you hear and just get spiritually overweight and then sense that, you know, maybe I'm not being fed the way I want to be. But it's, an, it's another thing altogether to take the word of God each week and apply it to your life and try to live it. Everyone say live it. So I want you to know that there are some people that whether they try to or not, they have a mentality that I will not change. But we have to ask the question to ourselves, very important, even at the beginning of the year as we come to some of us, the end of our New Year's resolutions, realizing once again that our resolutions are not what's going to change us, but truly having an, a question in our heart that we live by, and that would be, are we willing to be made whole? I, I, I want to deal with this because this week I felt like God was talking to me and when I prayed about this sermon, I was it was quite a ways back, and God said, hey, I can make all things new. Revelation tells us that. In Revelations 21 and 5, it says there's one that sits on the throne that's going to make all things new, and if his character is to make all things new, then he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, so therefore he can make all things new right now. Amen? And so the question is, what are we doing? Not, not God, can you come down, as the scripture shows in the story, the angel coming down and troubling the water, and then they got into the water and got their healing. Not God, come down and heal me, but are you willing to get up to be healed? In other words, there is a responsibility on the human person that, that's seeking something from God that maybe you need to change in order to have God do that thing for you. Have you been praying for something? Something that God would answer, but you haven't let him change the places that answer would fit? Have you been doing something that is praying over a condition and not letting God change your overall mentality? What happens when we change our perspective is amazing. I, I've been able to see my own perspective change over time and what happens is you look at something differently and, and maybe you've done this too. Pick a positive thought. Maybe your mother or father taught you if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Maybe you've been there but whenever what really is going on is they're trying to shape your mind. Your, your parents are trying to shape and train you when you're younger that you can either choose something bad or you can choose something good to think about and, and, and if you choose good thoughts, often your actions will follow and so 
sometimes when my wife is correcting our children, I will uh, conveniently stay out of the way. <laughs> I don't know if you're, if you're married or if you're not, or if you have kids or not, but one of the greatest things you can learn to do is not get in the way when your uh, spouse is in the middle of it. So my wife was correcting the kids, and she has this better half. She is my better half, but she has this other half that the kids will push her to every once in a while. Pray for her, you know. It's 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 the need of fasting and prayer. So she has this this other half, and every once in a while, that other half, when they push all of her buttons for too long, comes out, and she um, she has a tendency to yell at them. Which I know, pray for her. I, I I know you can't believe that she would raise her voice. She's so sweet all the time. But but this other half comes out, and she was in the process of correcting our son and daughter at one point and I said honey you know that's not necessary and then of course that other half was turned on me which is always a problem and I learned right away that you don't want to get involved whenever there's correction going on but what was taking place was while my wife was trying to correct my son and daughter my daughter was in the middle of explaining to her all of the reasons why what happened happened well I hit him and because he did this and and she was in the process of helping them understand that I don't need the history lesson of how we got here you may have started it but I'm going to finish it and that's the same thing that Jesus is trying to ask this man at the pool of Bethesda. I don't need the history lesson of how you got here. Because when he asked him, will you be made whole? He lists off a bunch of excuses. And you know what an excuse is. It's, an, it's a reason that just stayed too long. Sometimes whenever you have reasons in your life for why you can't get up or why you can't move on, those reasons are good reasons. But if those reasons stay too long, they just become an excuse in your life. So what happens is he begins to explain to Jesus something because he doesn't have understanding. He says, but I have, in verse 7, he says, I'm an impotent man. In other words, I'm lame, sir, and I have no body to take me. How many times have you blamed somebody else for your situation? Whether you meant to or not, I have no body that raised me upright. I have no body that taught me. I had no body that was an example in the home of what a man should be to a woman. I have no body that was ever there for me whenever I really need him. I have no body to help me whenever I'm feeling lonely. I have no body to help me. How many times did you put blame on somebody else whenever Jesus is not asking for a list of where you are and how you got there he's wondering do you want me to finish the situation you're battling and you're struggling with because I'm alpha and omega the beginning and the end and I don't know how it got started for you I don't know what situation you're in right now I really don't know how lame or how difficult what's going on in your life may be but if you want me to finish it I can say it's done and make you beautifully new all over again right now and I believe I'm preaching to somebody that needs that in their life so he goes over several things here in verse 7 and, and he finishes with while I am coming there's someone else steps in and so he starts to list off the reasons why he doesn't get his healing and I want you to notice that none of those are a lie none of those are something that is a half truth or false truth and he's not trying to be uh, deceptive here he's just trying to tell Jesus his situation and Jesus is kind to him because the man does not know that faith has showed up and Jesus is a way maker and that he's the one that can bring healing to his body 
Amen, somebody. When Jesus shows up, he can do anything. So what's taking place here is Jesus is trying to realign his thinking that you have all the facts of why you can't be healed. But faith just showed up and the Messiah, the healer, is standing in front of you. And so what you have to understand is there is now a new day and a new understanding coming to the people of Israel that faith can override fact in your life. So if you know that, if you know that, hey, I'm, I don't make enough money to pay all those bills, or I, I'm dealing with depression because my dad dealt with it and my grandfather dealt with it, or I'm dealing with this or I'm dealing with that, you can have all the facts stacked up why you can't move forward or why you can't see God have, show you great things in your life or why there cannot be revival, why there's not a move of God in your life like you see in maybe other people's life. But I want you to know that Jesus has showed up in this house today and he's ready to say to you would you like for your faith to overcome your facts and be brand new in Jesus Christ there is such an opportunity in this room right now for God to make all things new amen and I can't even understand why I can be so excited about other things in life, but I can't be excited about the fact that regardless of all those different aspects of my life and different facts in my life, my story can be just like this man's when Jesus comes to me and says, would you like me to handle it? And I hand him all the reasons why. As if we're informing God. As if our prayer life ever informs God. As if we ever have a thought that he thinks, that he goes, I didn't know you were going to think that. We act like when we pray that we're explaining to God our situation and giving him all the reasons why it's not going to work. But he's always often standing there as the healer saying, I can fix this if you'd like. You've been here a long time. This gentleman obviously has been here a long time. They did a study not long ago. And they found out that a lot of people obviously cover up their conditions. They don't want others to know about the places in their life that, you know, that God really wants to take care of. But funny how we mark the areas of our life that are publicly presentable. But we have a hard time letting God into those places that are not so nice. Amen? So I'm asking you today, where do you need to be new? Where do you need God to step in? And... 90% of the people that they asked this question to, it was a little bit higher, but I just went low just, just to take out the, the percentages that are not so good because statistics are not always right. But they said, that when they asked him, what would you like to be new in your life? 90% responded with a circumstance. I would like for something to be changed in the area of a circumstance. My child, my job, my husband, my wife, busy changing other people, busy trying to change other things. Did you know that what you magnify in your life is what manifests in your life? Did you know that? We used to burn, don't, don't uh, record this, we used to burn ants with one of these. Have you ever burnt ants? I mean, that, it gets pretty warm. This is a magnifying glass. And you can fry an ant, um, which is really, which is really bad. So don't do that. But um, 
I was never the one frying them. It was always a friend who was much more malicious than I was. I was too kind to ants. I didn't want them to die. I was uh, I was looking into the situation where you see people that... I've been in Colorado all week, and I had to work all night, which I told you about. So when you're in Colorado, you smell a lot of people that smell like certain kinds of things that they burn and smoke <laughs> because it's legal out there. And I was really amazed at all the people that I was um, around that I had the opportunity to judge. And I had to be very careful about how I judged. Obviously, we're judgmental people. We have a little bit of that in all of us, every one of us. And I was realizing that I could either judge them or I could try to talk to them and see what I could share with them about the Lord. And I remember a story of a friend of mine named Jack. Jack is um, a friend that was in the Virginia district. Virginia is the state, obviously. He was the superintendent of Virginia. His name is Jack Cunningham. I don't know if you know who he is. But he told a story, and I'll share it with you real quick. It, it goes with the sermon. He told a story about how he had gone into a barbershop, and I'll get back to this. I'm just going to carry this around so you wonder why I picked it up. He told a story that he went into his normal barbershop because he needed to get a haircut. It was time, and his normal barber, um, they walked up and they told him that his barber had a family emergency and had to leave. But Julie is here, and Julie can help you. And he's like, okay, I'm here. I need a haircut. I'll... Sure, Julie can help. Well, Julie comes around the corner and she has hair that's spiked in every direction. And every spike is a different color. And she has, his words, about 100 piercings in her face. All the way around, all the way down, all the way across lips, nose, everything. She's, you know, got piercings everywhere, which I think has to hurt, right? And so she comes up, she goes, hi, I'm Julie, are you Jack? And he goes, Actually, Jack just wanted me to tell you that he had just left. And uh, he said, yes, I, I'm Jack. He's like, She's like, I'm going to cut your hair today. And he was automatically, he said, I hate to admit it. He goes, but I judged right away that she wouldn't want anything to do with the Jesus that I serve. So he did what every good preacher would do in that situation. He's like, well... I'm just going to get through this. I'm going to sit in the chair and take a little nap while I get my hair cut. So he's sitting there with his eyes closed and his head down and getting his hair cut. And he begins to, to just think about the things of God. And he's just sitting there and he's thinking about how his life is so different from the person that's cutting his hair. And she goes, so what do you do? And he's like, oh boy, here we go. How am I going to do this? And he says, well, uh, I am a minister, um, and I work right up here at the World Evangelism Center in Hazelwood. And he's like, and she's like, really? He's like, yeah, you know, you go where 294 runs into, you know, whatever. And she's like, yeah, I was just there the other day. And he's like, what? <laughs> you were in World Evangelism Center? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, yeah. She goes, I went there because you guys got a bookstore, right? And he's like, yeah, we do have a bookstore. She's like, I went there because my mom is a horrible cocaine addict. And my dad is super strung out on cocaine as well. And 
someone gave us the Left Behind movie series and we all watched Left Behind and I felt like I was going to get left if Jesus came back. So I wanted to find out about this Jesus. So I went there and I bought myself a Bible. And I've been reading this Bible for two weeks now, but I don't know what I'm reading and I don't know how to find out about Jesus. And he just began, he just began to feel horrible at this point because his presupposition and his judgments had left her out of the church of God. And so what he did was he had examined her and magnified all the stuff that he said would keep her from a relationship with God. And when he looked up, she was talking about reading the Bible and not knowing what it meant. And there was tears running down her face. And all the other stylists had stopped cutting hair. And now we're all turned listening to her because they're like, if Julie can get something from God, truly I can get a relationship with God. <laughs> if she can go to God, all of us can. You know, that's what they were talking about afterwards. And so he's like, he got done with the haircut and he stood up. He said, Julie, I want to apologize to you. I made a judgment when I first came in here and I can see that your heart is open to Jesus Christ and I will do whatever it takes to teach you the word of God. He said, I've got a Bible study chart back in my office. I will leave here right now. I will drive 20 minutes to get that and I will drive right back and you and I will sit right out on that park bench right out there and I will teach you about Jesus. And he taught her the word of God and she is a different woman this day because he stopped judging and magnifying all that he found was wrong and what manifested was salvation in her life. We don't have the right to choose who gets to come and who doesn't get to. Just because we put some nice clothes on on Sunday doesn't mean that we don't need Jesus just as bad as the next person. You know what I'm saying? We all need him in such a way. We all have this spot that we've got marked off. I'm just marking it off. That we've got marked off. That God can't go there. That he's not allowed in that place. And when he comes and says, will you let me make you whole in this area? We have to be willing enough to say, I need him as bad as Julie needed him. And no matter how long you've lived for God, you need him more today than you needed him yesterday. But what we do sometimes is we start to magnify everybody else's faults and we start to say, well, they need it worse than I do. And we exclude ourselves because we think that someone else needs it more than we do. Or we exclude them because we think they don't want what we have. I promise you, this world is hungry for the Lord. Their hearts are hungry for God. I have friends right now that don't go to this church and they asked me last night by text, what you preaching, pastor? They call me pastor. They don't even go here. But God's working on their hearts. But the problem we have in the church is we start looking at other people's problems. Not that Reese has a lot of problems. But this is Reese. But we start looking at other people's problems and magnifying their problems so that ours don't feel so bad. And we feel better about ourselves. So like when I get this close, I can see that, yeah, he's got eye goobers or he's got, <laughs> he's got something going on there. I can see every flaw and every problem. But you have to understand that when the scripture talks about us judging each other, it says that when we look at a brother or a sister and we see a speck in their eye, and we try to have them deal with the speck that's in their eye while we still have what's called a beam in our eye. And I realized that sawdust is a product of the beam. 
So therefore, if I'm seeing a speck in my brother's eye, oftentimes what, what offends you in somebody else that you're judging is because there's something like that in you. The speck is just a product of the beam. And so what he's saying is, how can you judge your brother who has a speck in his eye whenever you have a beam in your eye? It's just, what it means is, the, the level that you judge somebody else, you're going to be judged at. And the problem is we fix our focus on things that don't change people. And we fix our focus on their problems sometimes instead of letting God change them. Because when we first, when I first started dating Sarah, I mean, everything that I loved about her, you know, she was just amazingly controlled and she was so, so put together and she was so organized. And then when we got married, I was the one that was the problem because I wasn't organized and I wasn't put together. And the thing that attracted me to her after we were married was actually the thing that kind of bothered me. Because we can't be spontaneous. Let's just go down to the lakefront, walk along Milwaukee River. The, you know, let's go do something fun. No, we've got a schedule. No, we've got to stay on task. And the funny thing is the things that attracted me to her are now the things that I find to be a problem in our relationship. It is also very important that you realize that Jesus was asking him this question because it was the Sabbath. And there's religious tradition that you're not supposed to do certain things on the Sabbath. So he was asking him, are you willing to step beyond your traditions if I heal you on the Sabbath? There's also other things that are in the scripture here that are very interesting. And number one is he had, he had plenty of opportunity, it would seem, to get himself there or to make a change in his life. But Jesus didn't ask him. Jesus didn't ask him. Do you want change? Not do you want it to change. He said do you want change. Or not do you want it to change. In other words. The pool represents. A place where his miracle was going to take place. It was, it was there. If I could just get there. And Jesus was saying. I. I don't want to have something uh, change you. I don't want your thinking to be that you need to get there. I want you to know that your your there has come here. It's also because gee, I, I have an illustration, but I don't know if I can use it in the way that I want to because you have to understand that Jesus was the water and Beth, Bethesda actually means house of mercy. So sometimes whenever I'm dealing with folks that feel like they need to give me a list of all the reasons why Jesus can't help them. Like I talk to them and I say, hey, God can change the situation. God can make a difference. And they give me this look like, yeah, pastor, I understand that. I, I get that. Like their situation is different from everybody else's. Like they're an island and God cannot use uh, God, God cannot use their situation to change things. But the truth of the matter is, God wasn't asking him, do you want it to change? He's asking, can, can, can you, are you able to change yourself? Are you willing to change your religious traditions? Are you willing to let me do something right now that might bring some criticism? And so I found several things in the scripture that I wanted to point out. And this is why I used to love youth ministry is because when you talk to people that are older, they have that whole some things never change idea. You know, they're rusty and crusty. <laughs> they get older. 
And they're like, yeah, but, you know, some things just never change. But whenever you have, whenever I was in youth ministry, they didn't know enough to know that some things don't ever change. And they would actually sometimes pull out of situations that you thought they would never get out of because they had enough faith to believe that God could change it for them. And so the angel comes down in this situation, and though there's change available, he can't get to it. And that's how sometimes religion is. It's the first one in wins. The, the smartest one, the one with all the degrees, the one that knows how to, to, do, a church, to do church, the one that has the best attendance, the, that's what religion does. The, the one that's on the top wins. But Jesus came and told him that you don't have to be first. You can even be last and still have a miracle come to your life. So he had the you first mentality. The people that go before me always get there before I do. And I never can get there. I'm always last in line. I want you to know that the more desperate the situation, and this is so true even in my life, the more desperate the situation, the greater the opportunity for a miracle. And so whenever Julie stepped around the corner and said, are you Jack? What he didn't give in that moment was the opportunity for God to make her beautifully new. And we don't have time, I beg of you, we don't have time to judge people from their external presentation. We must realize that God is working on their heart. Are you busy searching out somebody that wants to hear about Jesus Christ? Are you, or are you trying to let God lead you to someone who's becoming uh, hungry for God? This is more than I can even express because there's so many times where there's something going on and I think that God can't use it, but God can use it. And so when we look at Mark chapter 5, we see a situation where there's a woman with an issue of blood. And I, was, I started into this a little bit last week, but I wanted to just hit real quick the high points as I'm finishing today and leave you with something that you can process and apply to your life. Everyone say a 3D life. 3D is obviously more than just a, a linear process of looking at something from the top down, but we're talking about having different angles of life. And so in the scripture, there's a woman with an issue of blood that comes to find Jesus. And the, the beautiful thing of the situation is that she was not worthy to be there, but she was hungry. And so the thing that you have to understand is there are all kinds of distractions. There are distractions that we can judge people and not offer them the beautifully new opportunities that Jesus has for them. There are distractions in our life that we can be so busy that we're focused actually on the wrong things and that our focus is bringing into manifestation things that are not healthy for our life. We can, we can have busyness we can have crowded places in our life but I want you to know that you don't need to get away and block yourself off and go to a sabbatical for three weeks to get closer to God God shows up in crowds amen God shows up in crowded places amen and our lives are crowded our minds are crowded our schedules are crowded there's so many places where we think that God cannot move and we prejudge the situation where we think God can't do something beautiful because we're just too busy well I didn't get up my morning devotion 
devotion because I'm just too busy. Well, how about a devotion all day while you're driving? Or how about a devotion while you're at work? Take two minutes and just stop and say, Jesus, I love you more than anything. I know i got to live this life, and I've got this schedule, and I've got this job, but you know my heart is set on you, and I love you with everything that I have, and all of me belongs to you, no matter what I'm doing. And you can have a beautiful moment in a busy day because God specializes in showing up in crowded places. Amen? And we have this thought that we need to get away. And I, I really think it's even more for mothers because they're never, they're never able to get away. Kids are always looking under the door when they sneak off, you know. Or there's always someone tagging along, pulling on their skirt, saying, Mom, I need this and Mom, I need that. And they just feel like they're constantly overwhelmed. And if I just had some free time, if I just had maybe three days to lock myself in a hotel room, I've heard these words, believe me, to lock myself in a hotel room, I would get closer to God. But I want you to know that God does not function like that because if that were the case Jesus would never have been spiritual because he never got away from the people he never had a chance to move away from the crowds he always had to force himself to go up the mountain to pray to leave the people but there was always somebody there calling for his attention and I want you to know that in this situation where you are right now it's a perfect situation for God to show up you don't, you're never going to have the perfect scenario, but right now, right where you are, is the most wonderful place for God to do something beautiful in your life. Amen? Amen. Even in the difficult times. Even in the hard times. And so, there's a situation going on where a woman meets up with Jesus, and they're headed to Jairus' house. I can't even hardly say his name right. Jairus or Jairus, however you want to say that. But in first. In verse number uh, 27, it said, She had heard of Jesus and came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I will be whole. In verse, 20, I mean, verse 28. So what happens here is you have to understand that the crowd is pushing. We, we have so many distractions. It's not funny. In fact, they're finding out there's studies that are being done that we cannot multitask very well. They're saying that it actually leaks energy or it leaks efficiency if we multitask. And now I know all the women in the room are like, well, I'm a multitasking monster. I, can, I have so many kids and so many different things going on at once. That's true, but they, they do say that you lose efficiency the more you try to multitask because your brain is wired for different tasks. And when you move from one task to the other, you lose efficiency. So what's happening in our world, as we have so many distractions, is we realize that information, there's a study done back in the 70s, and they found out that information comes at a cost. That for you to receive information in your life, it costs you attention. So the price of information is attention. In the, in the article in the 1970s, you think it was written in 2017, but it said that we are having a shortage or a lack we have an abundance of an information and a shortage of attention. That's where we're sitting right now. And so what's happening is we are having to process what is urgent and what is most important over all the other tasks. And so I don't know, maybe you can help me. I'm asking you. There's times when I don't even know how to define what is the most important thing. What is a distraction and what isn't a distraction? You have so many distractions, you don't know which one's most important because there's a myriad of different, myriad, <laughs> fancy words, a myriad of different things going on in your life that are 
important. And they tell us in business that you have to process the urgent things over the important things, right? But that doesn't even apply here to this story. Because what happens if you look at it is they're headed to Jairus' house to pray for his daughter who is dying. This woman has lived at least for 12 years with this issue of blood. What's the most urgent situation here? I would think the daughter that's dying, right? Wouldn't you? The most urgent situation? She's lived. This girl has not had a chance to live as long as this other lady has in the scriptures, this woman. So therefore, you let the child live. So the most urgent situation is Jairus' daughter. But Jesus stops the entire procession where all of this crowd is pushing on him for one woman that's pulling on him. There you go. Put that on Pinterest. I don't know. But what happens is you have to understand that Jesus literally defines the way that we can process our lives and understanding the distractions of our life, which ones are important and which ones are not. You have to choose whatever is pulling on you rather than what's pushing on you. There's a lot of people pushing you to do a lot of things. Jesus was being pushed in the crowd. And so he asked the question in this, in this passage. He's like, who touched me? Because he wanted to know there is one person in this crowd that's not pushing him, but actually is pulling on him. And when you want to know what are the most urgent things in your life that you need to deal with, that God can use to make beautifully new situations in your life, you have to ask yourself, what is pulling on my heart? What is pulling on my life? Not what is pushing me. Jesus never let anyone push him into anything. He wasn't pushed into coronation before he went to the cross. He wasn't pushed into a place where he was celebrated before he suffered. He wouldn't let anybody take him to a place with, by pushing him there. But when he felt the pull of sin and when he felt the pull of the weight of my heart and the pull of my need to be saved, he went to a cross and he endured and despised the shame and he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. I believe that Jesus Christ walked his entire life responding to the pull in his life. And I know I've talked about this before. But this is the dimensions that you need to live in. Number one, the 3D life comes to you this way and this is how you can process it. You first have to make a decision. This gentleman was asked in the scripture, that was our text, will you be made whole? You need to make a decision. You need to declare it. And secondly, you need to declare to yourself the word of God or declare over and over again that decision. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to make it better. I'm going to walk out of this. I'm going to get up and make a place where God can work. And then you declare that over and over to yourself. And then the third D. So first is decision. The second is declaration. And the third D for a 3D life is your deeds. Act on your faith. Act in a place where God wants to use you. Act like it's already done. Because Jesus was the water. Jesus was the healer. And so instead of making the man come to him through all of the religion and through all of the different things that were blocking him, that he listed himself, he brought the healing to the man. And that is the difference of religion versus relationship. That is the difference. We want a church that has people that find a relationship with God. So we are going to take to them that message. We're not going to make them just come and partake in religious activity. But we're going to take to them something that changes their life. Because that's what we must do. God makes all things new. Amen. And...
once you define your distractions, once you follow the pool instead of the push, you will find your focus gets fixed. And what you focus on then becomes real in your life. Focus on catching a commitment with God. Because if you focus on the things you're searching for, you'll be searching for a long time. Have you ever sat at a computer long enough to be frustrated at something searching? Searching, searching. And pretty soon it frustrates you. Same thing with your spiritual life. Your faith can be frustrated by searching for answers whenever you can simply focus on becoming what God wants you to be instead of finding yourself or finding who you should be. Being beautifully new is a constant cycle of becoming. We are trying so often sometimes to find things and we are striving instead of striving to become. The fight of finding things is frustrating. It'll frustrate your faith, but the battle to become something, that's always worth the fight. It's always worth the fight. And Jesus said that I've come to take out your stony heart and put in a heart of flesh or put in a new heart. He said, I'll do this by my spirit. And in doing that, by his spirit, he makes us new. And then he begins to work on things from the inside out. And we stop trying to find things, but we start becoming disciples. We start looking at things that can change our life instead of just looking good as Christians. We become a good husband or wife because we desire to help our spouses. This is what David said. He said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That's why David said it. He realized that if you magnify it, you manifest it. And he said, Whatever you magnify, you make larger. Whatever you put under the glass, you make larger. Are you going to make larger your problems this year? Is 2017 going to be the year where you're finding things wrong? Or is it going to be the year that you look to become a person that thanks God for the blessings that you've got? Are you going to magnify what's not? Or are you going to magnify what you've got? Are you going to live in a place where you're thankful and where God can use you. The way you love your neighbor is the way you love yourself, usually. And what I'm asking today is not only are we able to look at God and say, God, I open up that place in my life where you want to make whole, but also are we able to let him change us. Let him work on us. Let him be all that we need him to be. And so I took two stories today and I melded them together. And one thing you have to realize is when God turns to that woman with the issue of blood, it was good for her. She was healed. Everything was great, but it was bad for Jarius. And when we're fighting for the things that are in our life that need our attention, sometimes you feel like you're giving life to one thing while something else is dying. Sometimes you feel like your attention's on one thing, but something else is going bad over here. And it's so hard to find that struggle, especially as a, 
as a man, making enough money, but yet making sure that I'm home for the kids and where do all those things fit. And I want you to know that you can trust God's plan for your life. If you trust him with your life, he can make things beautiful in your life that you never thought would become beautiful. And so while I'm watching my wife correct everybody in the house, including me, I realized something that someday I'm going to miss the moments where there was the tension and that I would come back to that moment in my mind and want that just so they were at home when they're off at college or when they're off doing whatever else they're going to do. And I would remember those moments and they would become special to me, even though they were difficult now. And then the changing of seasons of life, sometimes there's demands placed on us that change the way we think about things. And so, as we finish today, I, I would ask you this. What is it that you need new? What is it that you need God to touch? I don't know, Pastor. I don't, I don't really have anything right now in mind. Well, maybe think over it this week. And maybe ask God... What area of my life have I closed off to you? What area am I not willing to change? What area is too difficult for me to make a decision on and I've just kind of side sidestepped it and set it on the shelf? If there is a place like that, I believe God would have you deal with that this week. Jesus, in this room right now, there's all kinds of myriads of different decisions that can be made. There's people that want to choose you in ways that are so deep and so real, but there's distractions all about us. And in those distractions, we feel like maybe there's not the possibility to go deeper with you, but I'm praying tonight and I'm praying today that you'd help us to take a decision and put it in front of us that, Lord, you are able to make things whole. You're able to make things beautiful. And then would you help us to not respond to all the push of life? Because life can be so pushy. But would you help us respond to what's pulling on our life? Because we can take down so many urgent things and we can take down so many important things that are just not as important as the pull and the call of God on our life. This is the real stuff, God. This isn't the fake stuff. This isn't the, the people pretending to be something they're not. This is where we come to you and we say, Lord, I need you. I need you right in that space, that space where you ask me, do you want me to make that hole for you? That space that maybe nobody know, else knows about it or maybe just my wife or maybe just my family know about. It's that real moment where we get authentic and where we say, Jesus, I'll surrender this to you, but I'm going to need you to make me new in this area. The Holy Ghost is here right now. And God is willing to make you brand new in any area of your life that you surrender to Him. But it's got to be more than a worry about the clock. You can't, can't come to God and just say, hey, no, this is the wrong day. This is the Sabbath. I don't, need to, I, I don't want to be healed today. I don't want to be delivered today. It's got to be that you surrender that thing, that place that relationship to God and in your surrender you find out that maybe he needed to change you enough to change the situation so I'm asking would you stand with me today
we can walk out of here and we can leave and we can go about our day and we can do whatever else comes the rest of today. Or we can surrender right now to God something that has been in our hearts or been in our lives for too many days, maybe even too many years. What is it that you're hiding that Jesus would come and say to you, will you be made whole? What is it that is in your heart or in your life that maybe you even got bitter at God about? And you're like, Jesus, I don't want to let go of this because I wanted it to be different. If there's something like that, I would like to pray with you today. This altar's open. You're welcome to stay with us and meet us in this other room. If you're not here as the first-time visitor, please, by all means, take time to pray and seek God's face. And today, in this moment, let there be a, a beginning point. I'm not talking about everything being fixed when you leave. I'm not talking about pie in the sky or better roses. I'm talking about God starting you afresh, God resetting something in your life. Maybe it's a miracle that you let go of. Hear me carefully right now. Maybe it's a son or a daughter that you prayed for so long for God to touch and you've let go of that miracle. I want you to get your miracle back. I want you to put it, it before God and say, God, I want that relationship. God, I want that healing. I want that place. I want that intimacy back in Jesus' name. Put in your mind right now, if you would, every eye closed, every head bowed, put in your mind something that you want to give back to God and make, make Him responsible for it. Make Him change it. Make Him, not just make Him, but just give Him some way to know that you are receiving His mercy and His grace for your part in the situation, but you're also surrendering it to Him. Regardless, don't put blame on it. Just let Him have it right now in Jesus' name. And he will make something beautifully new out of it. One thing, just find one thing. I don't want 10, just right now in your mind with your eyes closed. Find one thing that you're going to surrender to Jesus this year. And I believe he's going to start right now and make that thing beautifully new for you. I prayed in the name of Jesus by the authority and power of the Holy Ghost. And by the name of Jesus, which has all power and has all dominion. I pray over everything that's in the minds and hearts of the people in this room and the people listening online, that you, oh God, would do something beautifully new in the thing we're surrendering to you right now. The son, the daughter, the family member, the situation, the job, the promotion that got passed over you, the insecurities, the low expectations so that you're not disappointed. Every bit of it, make it beautifully new. In Jesus' name. Someone said in Jesus' name. Give it to the